Hello and welcome to episode four of the Noise Creators podcast. This one's a really fun one because it's with my dear friend Nick Bruzzese from the band Man Overboard. Nick and I go way back, so far back that even before Man Overboard, I recorded his band A Sense of Belonging. And over the years, Nick's been recording some of Man Overboard's stuff as well as stuff for transit and handguns. Now that Man Overboard's on a less hectic touring schedule, he's ramping up his production, and that's a lot of what we get into in this episode. And I think he has some good insights. He's worked with some amazing producers over the years like Will Yip and Bill Stevenson, as well as my partner in Canon Found Foundation, Mike Ottinger. And I think we have a pretty awesome conversation, so check it out. Here it comes. Thanks so much for being with us today. So uh, what's the chain you're using to record your voice today? Uh, well, I got the Rode NTK mic, and I'm going into this Wonder preamp. It's a Wonder oh, yeah. PA4. That's that's one of the best ones out there. Yeah, yeah, I got that from Mr. Will Yip, and then uh, I got it going into a distressor into the computer. Nice. Well done. Um, Thank you. Tell me about your background in music, as if I've never heard this story before. Yeah, uh, played original drummer. Mm-hmm. Started started playing drums at like ten years old, and then joined bands in the scene. Played shitty shows. I uh, went to school for recording. Uh, my teacher was Dave Downham. He runs Gradwell House Recording Studio over here in uh, Haddon Heights, New Jersey. And then I took drum lessons for a little bit just to learn how to read, and then just went on tour for the rest of my entire life. <laughs> I feel like I've, I've been basically been on the road since 2008, touring full-time with Man Overboard and um, doing the studio in between me being home and on the road for a while. I actually had the studio before the band. And then, um, yeah, and then I'm taking it a little more serious now. Nice. So tell me how you got started producing records. Oh, wow. I, I mean, being in a band and then having to pay for recording when I was like 15 was just out of the question. So we had like a little, I had like a little four track and we tracked this little EP in a basement. And, and I mean, that was like the start of me, like re-recording songs and like making them to the, to the way I like really enjoyed. So I think that's when it like really started. And then Man Overboard kind of took off and we were sending you demos back and forth. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, um, you guys you guys had I think I think if I remember correctly, it was like twenty five to thirty five demos when you first started sending me, me yeah. stuff. When we met with you, our songs were okay. Mm-hmm. And then we came here and I remember you sending sending you like the demos to like Montrose mm-hmm. and you hitting me up being like, Yo, you have to we have to like hang out like mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> yep. That so, was, I mean, those those, those, those yeah, like that was, five songs that ended up on Real Talk when you guys did that demo after we did Hung Up on Nothing. Yeah, I mean, that, that was like the start of me really, really producing songs so like we could try to get somewhere. Nice. So you have your own studio. Tell me about that, like where it's at, what you got, all that fun stuff. Yeah, I've had it. I built it when I was 18. I'm an old oh. man now. I'm not going to say my age. Oh, come but, on. People can uh, <laughs> look that up on Wikipedia pretty easily. Yeah, I'm sure it's on there. But it's in it's in a DIY shed that i bought with my dad when i was 18 it's like 30 foot by 15 foot uh two rooms i got some cool gear i got a neve portico uh the 5012 and i got the wonder i got the distressor i got the dangerous um what else i got, I got the rosetta 8 800 and i told you i just upgraded 
with the Pro Tools 12. Yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. I'm out here in Williamstown, South Jersey. Uh, thinking about moving soon, but that's where I'm at right now. Nice. So tell me about one of the piece, coolest pieces of gear you have in your studio. One of the coolest pieces of gear, it's probably not the best vocal mic, but this Rode NTK that I've had has literally been dropped it's been it's been punched before. It's been like through the ringer. It's dented, but for some reason, I don't know what it is. It's probably because of that. I feel like it sounds better now than when I first got it. And it's crazy, dude. You should see it. It's literally dented, but I honestly love it and that's what I've been using forever. I'm going to upgrade soon, but that's what I got. No, you know what's funny, too, is that that mic is, like, it's just, like, one of those ones they got right. Like, you know what's, like, really funny is, like, when I read recording interviews and, you're like, you know, we use it for our overheads. I'll use it for vocals, like, on a few records. Uh-huh. But, like, literally, like, you know, not to be, like, you know, that guy, but, you know, everybody knows the Nickelback records sound good, even if they're fucking terrible, <laughs> but they use those for all the drum mics, like that fucking big panic at the disco record. I remember like, yeah. when they used that for the vocal on that, you know, the yeah, room I mics. I remember seeing the fucking pictures when that was happening and it was like, you know, it's just a mic that fucking works good and sounds really good on a lot of people's yeah. voices that you can get for very cheap. And I think if I had a different one and if this has happened, I don't think that it would be the same for some reason. I feel like they're all so different. You know, it's funny because they all have the same thing to them. But, you know, I think there is a thing that's unspoken in mics is if you put up five mics and then walk side to side to side with all of them, they all do sound a little different. A little different, yeah. But, yeah, that's the coolest thing I have, I think, just because it's been through the ringer. So we talked about uh, that you started off playing drums. What instruments do you play? Uh, I do the drums. I play bass and sing in the band. I do guitar, a little piano. That's mm-hmm. really all I got. But I do the demos like myself here. You know, I, I yeah. play enough that I could come in here and record the song and then send it to the guys. Well, That's well, kind of like our process. It's always funny when I tell people about, like with you guys, how that basically like, on some song that's released from everything, like every one of you guys has played drums on something. Yeah, it's crazy. On Real Talk, I played too. Zach played too. Justin was on it. God awful, Justin. <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> and then Je- Jeff Cooper. Yeah, uh, yeah, he was on there. So, so yeah, what did we, we we had four drummers on Real Talk? Yeah, ten songs, four drummers. Yeah, and I guess we really recorded like 17 with the B-sides. We, we tracked all the drums, and the yeah. drums were done. We were done yeah. the record, and I was driving home with it from your studio, oh, yeah, yeah, listening in the car with Wayne. And I, I called you as soon as I got home. Like, we have to retrack all the drums. <laughs> yep. <laughs> then we figured out which ones it was, and... Uh, I guess we just, yeah, we redid like a half a dozen or so with it. Yeah, I think he's only on three. I think it's five. Is he? I don't want to give him that credit. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely three. (laughs) And then Wade played drums on Arlington Drive, right? Yeah. So that's that's all of you, which is so funny. Yeah, it's crazy. Like if you count all the drummers you guys have fired over the years too, it's like your spinal tap. Yeah, we could join Stomp after the band if we wanted. <laughs> I like <laughs> that, that might be a good plan. All right, so if you think of it this way, like, you know, you got, like, Steve Albini on one side where he really doesn't get involved in the songwriting. He'll maybe talk to you about takes. And then you got John Feldman who, like, totally rewrites band songs. Mm-hmm. If the, the, those are two sides of the scale. Where do you see yourself in that scale? I feel like I'm 
I think it all it, it all depends on what the band wants. I, I'll put it to you this way: I start off like the first song with the band, like being part of the band mm-hmm. and feeling them out. Like if I'm I'm gonna throw so many ideas out, I'm gonna like pick their brain about different tempos and different rhythms. And if they're like down with it and they're they love what I'm doing, then I'm gonna keep it up, you know. But if I could sense, I feel like it's seriously, <laughs> might be pretty stoner to say, but I think it's all about the vibe. So if I'm mm-hmm. if I'm working with them and I'm showing them stuff and they're vibing on it, then I'm going to keep it up. You know? mm-hmm. And if I feel like one member might be like, oh, I don't know, like I kind of like it this way, I like it this way, then I'll back off a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. I won't be like, no, dude. <laughs> but so I think, yeah, I think it all depends on the band. But I, 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 I like to start off on the Feldman side of things, mm-hmm. you know, and then work from there. Nice. And so what do you see yourself bringing to the records you produce most often? Nowadays, I record picturing us playing it live when I never did that at the start of the band because we, you know, we never played those size shows. So after like touring and seeing the crowd on certain songs that we've already tracked, I kind of try to bring that aspect into the recording world. You know, we just did our, our like heavy love record. We tried to do like, <clears throat> we tried to just make it sound as bouncy or like, you know, vibed out like that. So I feel like when I'm working with a band, I try to, if they're a younger band, I can try to put it like into perspective a little easier. Cause I've already been on tour. Totally. So, What's a common mistake you see bands do before they get into the studio? I think it's a two-part. And then the next question is going to be, what's the best thing? Right? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 yes. So, obviously, you're like, giving, giving away my game that I send you these okay. questions to think about beforehand. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Seacrest, I'm taking your, I'm taking your lines. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, like, I, I feel like this answers both, because I was going to say... Okay. The, the, the worst thing you could do is get demo-itis oh, and, yeah. and, the, and go into it like closed-minded. But the best thing you could do is record a bunch, you know, and mm-hmm. track, or if you have the ability to, you know. Yeah, and I think that that's like one of the things is it's kind of imperative that you do good demos. And I, I always tell people with you that like admire the records we did together. It's like you guys would do fucking great demos so all there was was to add to it and then switch it up if, like, we needed to. And, like, you know, a lot of the times the songs would be developed and then, like, every 10 song we'd have to do some serious reworking. But, yeah. like, you know, because you had those demos, we knew and could contemplate it so well. Because yeah, you guys yeah. didn't even just do the things of, like, skeletons. Like, you'd be there, like, thinking about the reverse symbol on down to the, like, subtle keyboard part and the harmonies, and that helped us a ton. Yeah, because you have more time at the end, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like when you're in a band going into the studio, sometimes, a lot of times you're pressed for time. Oh, yeah. And us having those demos, doing those records, put us all on the same page, like day one. Mm-hmm. We've already ha- we already had the songs to listen to for, you know, four weeks, two, two to four weeks. So well, day one rolled around, it was like, game time and we were we had a time to be like let's reverse the symbol and think about that extra production stuff that you don't normally get time for when you're pressed 
Totally. What's a good lesson you've learned from another producer? Uh, I mean, I've learned a lot of lessons from you in my day. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe somebody else aside from me, because the listeners of this podcast are probably sick of all my lessons. Um. I think, I mean, like, I always refer to you because you were the first guy that we worked with, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was coming up. So working with you so much and then doing the demos again at my place and then going back to you and then going back. I've like, you know, I learned a lot as far as different ways to mic things, different ways to isolate things. Mm -hmm. Um, But for you, I think I learned the best thing was to go into it open minded. You know, we change stuff. And I was like, okay with it because I wanted the band to grow, you know? So that was one of the things I learned from you is not to get, not to get demo-itis. Yeah. It's so easy to get. It's, it's so easy to get. And then like, there's other things like, you know, it's like funny because there'd be times that we'd go back to the demo and be like, you know what? We got to redo this because this is not hitting the level the demo hit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And there's even songs that we did where I I go back and I I listen to the demos after I've heard the record. I've gone. Mm, there there was some yeah. changes here. I wish I wish we reconsidered. Yeah. Exactly. But it's um, good to have. It's good yeah. to have while we're tracking. You know? Totally. So what happens when you and a band disagree about something? Uh, the band always wins for me. You know, I, I don't want to ever be a reason that anybody in the band feels uncomfortable or like I am taking too much control or wanting too much control. <clears throat> the most important part about recording at the end of the day is that the band has fun and they grew from it in a positive way that's going to make their next record be better. Mm-hmm. That's like at the end of the day what it's about. So, I, you know, if any argument occurs, I don't ever want it to be with me. I make sure it's never with me. Nice. So we're going to get into a couple questions about like some of the modern production things that you uh, make choices about. Do amp simulators have a role in your production? Uh, sometimes. It depends on, you know, what if I want to double something up and get a little different tone to blend it. Sometimes, yeah. Same thing with, the, with you know, drums. Uh, so, yeah, that's the next thing is. So, so what about drum samples dash uh, drum programming programs? Yeah, what I, I mean, one time, I, one thing I learned from Will Yip is was using the triggers uh, on snare as like a like a fourth track, and it was super like reverbed out and ambient. I've never, mm-hmm. I never tried that. And then I use, you know, sometimes I use that trigger on a certain snare just to get a little bit more of a roomier, poppier sound. With the snare specifically. Mm-hmm. Sometimes with the kick. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, uh, I, I go all around with, it, with with them. It's like, a, you know, every record's a little different, and then, but, you know, got to figure yeah, out if what it's going to make it, if it's going to make it sound a little better, I'm, you know, I'm always down to try it. How about uh, pitch correction? What role does that have in your productions? Well, when I'm recording my own productions, it has the biggest role. <laughs> <laughs> you guys sing pretty damn well uh, untuned most of the time. Yeah, most of the time. I've, I, I, you know, I can recall some times i got yelled at by you like you did what before what <laughs> oh my god sorry you smoked how many cigarettes oh like, man you have 15 so I, no I, but I, I mean I, I don't know if it was cigarettes that i was complaining about <laughs> yeah it might, might have been something else in the cigarette yeah. but um yeah i mean it's a, if the singer's good if the singer's hit it i'm gonna use it a tiny bit here and there and if they're awful i'm gonna put it on i'm gonna slap it all over <laughs> 
How about mixing and mastering? Do you do your own mixing, your own mastering? Tell us about that. No, I try to... My whole thing is I try to dive in so hard during the writing and recording process that usually by the end, I'm so burnt out that I would lo- I just want to be part of the band at that point and be like, all right, let's give it to that guy and like have him do it. So that's like where I, well, I, I don't, I never really dove into my own mastering. I did a little mixing here and there, but I try to outsource it just to have another ear. It's always good to have another ear on it. Yeah, no, I think it's one one of the the things that it takes a band doing this for a bit before they realize how much the outside ear on a mix and master can do for it. Yeah, like I said, it's all about being open-minded. You hear something, you're like, wow, never thought it could or would sound like that. So happy, like, I didn't spend extra 20 hours trying to do it myself. <laughs> How long do you like to take to work on a song? I mean, if the song if the song structurally is, is good, I, I don't like to take that much time. Like, sometimes it's sometimes it's long, sometimes it's short. Like, like you said, for us, we did, like nine songs we would blow through them and track them and be like this is awesome everybody's happy and then there would be that one that we would be like 13 hours doing drums and trying to get the structure right and everybody's burn on it yeah I, I, so if a band is booking time with you though how much time do you like to book for each song oh i like to do, i think we could get about a song a day i'd like to do Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's I think that's good amount of time if the band knows what they're doing and everybody's on the same page. But you know, one to two days, I think solid recording and being happy with a song, I like to do. Nice. Tell us one of the best moments you've had in the studio. One of the best. I don't. Th- I didn't think I read this question on no. there. Oh, that was definitely one of on the there. best. <laughs> one of the best moments I think I ever had was listening back to Montrose. The first time after you have mixed it and us being in your uh, room listening back for the first time was like probably one of the best feelings just because it, we had like done it. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were like, this is going to be the biggest song. <laughs> I think I think Zach cried. <laughs> I, I don't remember he, that. I don't remember that. He might have been on mushrooms, but he definitely <laughs> cried. <laughs> that 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 part sounds right. You know, you know, it's one of the the moments that I and we think. got drunk, dude. Do you remember we got drunk that night? Oh yeah, I we, mean, we like celebrated. I, I mean, you remember there was like some of those ties, like on those records. Like, remember I went out, like I hadn't gone out for like two weeks when we were doing real talk, and I went out one night and I came back and I couldn't even speak. I was so drunk. Exactly, <laughs> and it was so fun. Um, Literally, we celebrated after listening back. You, you know what moment I, I always go back to is um when we got like seventy five percent of the way through the record and you, me and Zach were figuring out the order and what songs should be on it, and then we figured out we had to put Montrose on real talk. Yeah, we had to. And we had to drop one song I don't remember which song we ended up throwing off the record. That oh, that's was right, yeah, you're right. We did do that. Yeah, we I think you, you know what it was? Is it was that um song that we used as the bonus track. Was it alone? I think it was. Yeah, and we had because we had put Montrose on the Dahlia thing. Yeah, and then we decided to do that. But you, me, and Zach were doing the order. It was one of the only times. Like usually, the order changes so much in the record. But we all sat there figuring it out the the order, and it was like fucking magic that night. That, yeah, like, it was. Actually, yeah, we like, just laid there and just like moved the Picked songs it. around, moved the rough mixes around till everything was working. Realized we needed yeah, like right. that reverse 
going into what was it FM Dial style or whatever. Exactly. And what was the show we were watching? We were watching Jersey Shore. Is that what we were? Yeah, we were. We were definitely. There was so much Jersey Shore going on back there at the (laughs) studio. Pretty good. Pretty good. You're celebrating fist pumping at Montrose on on mushrooms. That that was. That's how we did it, kids. Tell me one of the worst moments you've had in the studio and what you learned from it. Holy, listen, I'm gonna tell this story. All right, yeah, because I'm not. I'm not trying to make Bill Stevenson sound like a maniac by any means. He's one of the smartest guys I've ever worked with. So. Get this. We're tracking Heavy Love. We're three days into tracking it. Mm-hmm. And I start singing for the first day. And I was kind of, I was going to say I was a little overconfident. I'm like, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to kill it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I go in there and I start singing the song. This is the first time like we're working in the room alone. He's on the other side. I'm on the other side. This is a guy from Black Flag and the Descendants. Mm-hmm. I'm fully aware. I start singing the song. He stops it. And he like looks at me. I'm like, all right. He's like, let's tr- let's try one more time. So I track the thing. I track like the verse and the chorus, like in one take, and then he stops it again, and he looks at me, and then he plays it a third time. He's like, one more time, sing it again. Stops it, and he gets up, and he like leaves the room, and he starts coming towards like my room. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the hell's going on? And he walks in, he looks at me. He's like, what? What are you doing? I'm like, what do you? I'm like, what do you mean? What? what what are you doing? I'm like, I'm singing the song. He's like, why are you singing it like that? I'm like, singing it like what? He's like, he looked dead in my face. He's like, you sound like a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I was like, uh, uh, I was like, can you help me? Please help me. And from that moment on, he rode me so hard. Mm. But what I learned was being in the studio that time was pretty rough for me just because I had been through a long year mm-hmm. and he pushed it out of me so hard, harder than I've ever gotten before and made me like really, really understand how, how much it takes to get a good vocal take, you know? Mm-hmm. I was like spent at the end, man. I, I was telling Justin and Wayne, I was like, yo, if anybody wants to hear me sing again, they better buy the, the last record. Cause I'm done. Like it was, <laughs> it was so so awesome and awful at the same time. Well, I think that's one of the things is sometimes recording it can be both those things. It's a lot of hard work. It's draining, and then in the end, it's great. And I will say, you know, you guys' vocals sound fucking fantastic on that record. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and that was that was part of him being like, "Would you just buy? You just bought a house, right?" I'm like, yeah. He's like, then sing like you just bought a house. He's like, you're married, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, sing like you're married. Mm. You know, I'm like, Vince being, he's like, your dad died, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, fucking sing like it. And I was like, holy shit. Like, and we were in Colorado, so weed is legal. And I was really, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. But it was so intense and awesome. That's awesome. But it takes a lot to get a to get an awesome vocal take. It takes a lot. I, I I agree. You know, it's it really is that thing of like learning how to push different people and like what you're to get, it. and then also learning that some people really don't respond well to being pushed. Exactly. Like exactly. There, there there actually is like you can't even call it a rule like that. Like yes, this is like you know pushing somebody hard and doing that stuff. Cause there's some people that when you push them, they get scared and feel insecure. Like they're doing it wrong. And like, there's like, I call it the uh, one inch penis syndrome. 
Like like you got to What you got to do to some people is you got to tell them they're doing great instead because they're so insecure that they'll never get a good performance if you tell them they're not doing good. Exactly. And, and everybody's different. Yeah. So tell me about, so not one of the records you've done, but tell me about a perfect record in this world and what makes it perfect. Oh, holy uh i really love i think a perfect record for me was i mean i can think of a couple but one that comes to mind smashing pumpkins melancholy and the infinite sadness wow. is probably is pr- most people think that record's too long really i think it's perfect especially nowadays when like being in 2015 and putting that record on you're like this thing is is awesome because what's what's so bad about it now? Because it's too long. Everybody wants more songs from bands all the time. So now it's like it's its own thing, and it's a lot of songs. Like you know, does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. So, People so- got Spotify playlists that are like four days long. <laughs> I do. I'm pretty sure. I yeah, I'm pretty sure I do. <laughs> Have I ever listened to that thing? No, I don't even know what's on it. So what makes it perfect? I don't. Know, I think the dynamics. There's so many different songs that are that sound awesome, and and his and his voice is. You know, as soon as he starts singing, you know exactly who who's singing. And I've, I don't know. I feel like the time it came out was awesome. It was awesome for the, for you know for music in general. And yeah, all the songs are fucking incredible. I think. So tell me about five records in your musical growth and what they did for you. Well, they got me out of the one inch penis syndrome. <laughs> no, I'm talking about five records you listened to from other bands. Yeah, um, Oscar, I like that Idol Will Kill Records, probably one of my favorite ones. Melancholy, Pennybridge Pioneers, I like the Smashing Pumpkins record. I uh, liked Rage Against the Machine, Evil Empire was like one of my favorites. Nice. Now that's a, you, you know what, like for all the corniness of like the rapping, that record's energy is just insane. It's insane. There's not another record like it. Mm-hmm. No, anywhere. It's, it's it's crazy, and it sounds incredible. I I actually had it on a, on a bike ride the other day. I was doing that was like way too long, and it was like, I was like, all right, I need something to pump me up. I'm a little bored on the Skrillex. I think I'm I think yeah. I'm going here. <laughs> no, no more insane clown posse. <laughs> oh, that, that that still is always happening. You you know, I still wear that hoodie around the studio. <laughs> I, I think I've seen pictures. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that, that record's incredible and i think i'm pretty sure they tracked it live a lot of it they, they did a lot of it on the floor yeah that's true insane yep. yeah and i and i really like that um and you will know us by the trail of dead record the world's apart oh yeah that's a cool record yeah i like that record um so what's a, one of your favorite records of recent times and what inspires you about it <sighs> i really like I, it's gonna sound like I'm very married, but I really like the Avent Brothers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anybody who uh, follows you on social media already knows this one. Yeah, man. I I don't know, man. C- call me a married old guy, but I love it. It's the songs, dude. The lyrics are inc- insane. It makes us being in the band makes me want to write some lyrics that are a little, you know, realer. Mm-hmm. You know. So, last question is, so, so what have you been working on lately, and what do you have coming up? Uh, coming up, I don't really have much coming up. I think I'm going to be working on building a new studio, 
So I'm going to take some time to figure out my plan with that. But like this, this whole year was, a, was like a big man overboard year. We, we tracked here a lot. We, we did about 65 demos in here over the span of like two months. Wow. That's so that lot. was like, yeah, that, that was like our plan. Like every day we came here and like literally like clocked in like a job, like met here at like 10 a.m., sat in the studio till like 12 and midnight and just had a ball though you know we had a good time and that's that was basically my year and then upgrading a lot i bought some gear from will yip and um you know one of your guys is going to help me get on my feet as far as building a new spot and upgrading nice well dude thanks so much for doing this uh yeah thanks for putting me on i'm excited for the noise creators nice and yeah that's it If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can be also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going.